Well, good morning. It is an honor to open the Word of God with you this morning, and I just want to say, um, I played drums. Uh, I don't know if you saw that or not. Uh, and it's been so long since I've done it, I have a blister already. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but no, so the, the drums were my first uh, love. My wife's not in here, so I can say that. Um, but no, my, my drums were, were something I learned how to do when I was three, and so I, I got involved in ministry through drums, and, and the church uh, hired me to be the, the youth and worship pastor way back when, uh, and the only quali- qualification that I actually had was that I played drums in a worship band, so church took a chance on me, so thank you for that. Uh, but this morning, uh, getting to play drums was just uh, an uplifting moment for me, um, and this morning, Stuart didn't, uh, wasn't able to be here, and so I, was, I came in, and, and I, when I'm asked to preach, I get a little nervous just because I'm used to preaching in front of students, not adults, and so um, the things that calm me down are things like music, and so it was the Lord this morning, and uh, he was like, hey, just play some drums this morning, you'll feel great. I was like, all right, sounds good. Um, so anyway, just a little quick synopsis there of me and the drums. But I, I am excited to open the Word of God this morning. And this morning, um, we're going to dive into what uh, it looks like when we talk about God's holiness. And when we say that God is holy, what we mean, and how we respond to a holy God. And so uh, first we're going to be in Leviticus. And I know what you're thinking is, why Leviticus? Um, don't worry, we're only going to be in there for just a second because I want you to see how God describes himself uh, in this verse uh, to begin with. But first, I want you to think about the word holiness. And a lot of times when we think of that word, we have a hard time maybe defining what that is. And, and a lot of times our mind goes to purity. And you'd be right. Um, that is a, a, a good definition of holiness. But when we're talking about God right now, what we're going to be talking about is, uh, is holiness as it pertains to him, which, yes, he is pure, and we'll go over that here in just a minute. Um, but what, we, what, we want, what I want you to take away from this is that God, when we say holy, he's in a category all on his own. That, that, that it, it, it's a category that's all by himself. And to, to be holy means to be set apart to be supremely different. And God is this. God is holy. God is set apart. God is different. And so we're going to look at a few different places in Scripture. We're going to stick a lot of it into Exodus 3. Uh, but first we're going to read Leviticus 11.45, and it will be on the screen for you. And we'll see this idea of holiness as it begins to flesh out and uh, what this means for our relationship with God. So turn to Leviticus 11, and we're going to be on verse 45. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. All right, so admittedly, admittedly Leviticus is one of those books that's kind of tricky, right? When we read it, honestly, it can be feel overwhelming. Um, in fact, we read it and we, we're so far removed from the culture and the context of the day um, that we have a hard time understanding these ceremonial cost customs and rules for cleanliness and so on. But uh, we're not focused on that. But when I read Leviticus, I, I just think to myself, praise Jesus that Jesus exists, that Jesus came and, and took that uh, that, that punishment for our sins, that we don't have to have these rules and regulations and customs and all these things to live by to have a cleanliness in our life. And because one and done, right? Jesus came and, and conquered. And so when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we don't have to do those things. And so, but what we're focused on in verse 45 is how God describes himself. And God here identifies himself as 
holy. And as we think of holy, we think again, as we think, we think of true, it's pure, right? Pure, and that's true. God is pure. He is perfectly good. But in this case, God is identifying himself as set apart. Here and all throughout the Bible, God is continually saying, I am holy, I am different, I am set apart. So now that we understand how God describes himself, that he is set apart, let's take a look at Exodus 3. So turn there in your Bibles with me. It will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible this morning. All right, Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was not burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And so as you know, this is, uh, this, this is the story of most, a lot of us have heard this story before, the, the calling out of the burning bush. And, and to give you a little context, that, that Moses, right before uh, he, he gets this call, he had fled Egypt for killing an Egyptian. And for 40 years, he was in this, this exile. Um, and so when we, when we read this, when we start to, to, to take into account how this is, this, is a, this is a man that has been conducting himself a certain way for 40 years. He's been tending to sheep at the back of the desert for his, 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 his father-in-law for 40 years. He's such a humble person that, that he didn't even have his own flock to tend to. He was tending to his father-in-law's flock. And so as he's tending to these, uh, these sheep at the back of the desert, and he comes up on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and this is where God says later on in this same chapter that this is where you will lead your people to, and this is where also he gives uh, Moses the Ten Commandments. And so he lived in this, this, this obscure uh, desert of Midian for 40 years. And at this point in his life, again, he, he didn't have his own flock, and he was tending to, to, to his sheep and in, in, uh, his father-in-law's sheep. And he comes across this weird thing. And you would think it's the weird thing is the, the bush is on fire. Apparently, I'm not a smart man. I didn't know that that's a normal occurrence in a desert that bushes and trees spontaneously combust and they turn, they, they catch on fire and then they burn away. But what, what catches Moses' attention is not that. It's that the bush doesn't burn up. And so let's start with this burning bush. There's, there's something that happens that, that causes this scene to be different. That something might be happening. The obvious answer is that the bush didn't burn up even though it was on fire, but the deeper answer is this, that the, the, the expected order of things, the expected outcome had been subverted. The norm, it, it was no longer normal. And so what caused this unexpected and unique occurrence? God had entered the mix. Suddenly the ordinary was anything but because the angel of the Lord Jesus was there in the burning bush. Let's keep reading Exodus 3. So in verse 4 it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, 
God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of, God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And so, so when we see here, we see God we, we see God speak to Moses out of this burning bush. And he, he gives him the double call, as I like to call it. Moses, Moses. But if you notice, God didn't speak to Moses until he had Moses' attention. Right? It was the, the norm had been subverted. And so he sees this bush that's no longer consumed or being consumed by fire. It's, it's just burning. And so now God has his attention. And then he speaks. Oftentimes we... We, God's word doesn't touch our heart the way it might because we don't give it our attention. This burning bush was a spectacular phenomenon that caused Moses' attention, that captured Moses' attention, but it changed nothing until Moses received the word of God that came from it. So God calls Moses. He get like the classic double call that I like to call it. He calls him by name. He says, Moses, Moses. This implies a, a, an importance, an urgency as he called Abraham in Genesis 22. Abraham, Abraham. And Samuel in 1 Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. And Simon and, Mar Simon and Martha and, and Saul in the New Testament. There's an urgency. And as Moses approaches, God tells him to stop. And he instructs Moses to take his, sandal, his sandals off his feet because the ground is holy. Now, did something change about the ground? Was it all, did it go through some sort of metamorphosis and change? No. The, the ground was suddenly holy because the presence of God was there. And then, going on, God reveals himself. In verse 6, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses responds. So, so what happens here is that, that God tells Moses who he is. He's declaring his relationship with the patriarchs, the, the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this is reminding Moses of the covenant that God had made. And his covenant with Israel was still valid and important. This wasn't a new God. This wasn't some, some obscure deity or idol. This was the living God, the same God that dealt with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here God would reveal himself more intimately than he had any of those patriarchs. But yet God reminds Moses of the promise, of the covenant that they met on. So once God reveals that this is a holy place and that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Moses responds. And the idea here that we're talking about is God's holiness, right? We're talking about that God is different. God is, is set apart. And so how is this scene building on this concept? The answer is that God is so much bigger, God is so much higher that Moses, an ordinary man, couldn't conduct himself in an ordinary fashion in God's presence. He had to show an unparalleled amount of reverence and respect. And we see that in verse 6 when he hides his face. 
The passage, it clearly shows a distinction between God and humankind. God is holy, and he is set apart. So we're going to flip over to Exodus 15, just a few chapters later. And this is right after... the, the right after Moses responds to God's calling and he leads his people. So we, we know, most of us know the story of Moses where God calls him from the burning bush and there's a response by Moses, right? And Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. I am has sent me. Obviously, Pharaoh doesn't immediately respond and then that's where we get the plagues. And then... Pharaoh responds, and Pharaoh lets the people go. Well, we know what happens, right? We know that, 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 that Pharaoh says, Let my, that, that you can, that the Israelites can go, and you can go freely. And they go, and then all of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, not a chance. And he chases after them, right? And then we come up to the Red Sea. Moses leads the Israelites to the Red Sea, and as probably... Many of you, when you read the story, thought the same thing I thought was, and what they were thinking was, why would you lead us to this? You've led us to certain death. And then God enters the mix. God responds through Moses and parts the Red Sea. Right? And so they walk. The Israelites walk on dry ground with the sea walls next to them. What an amazing sight to see, this miracle of God. Through Moses, they walk and Moses leads them to safe ground. And then, as we know, the Red Sea closes on the Egyptians that follow behind. And they are consumed. And so, when we get to Exodus 15, 11, we read a, a, a song that Moses is sang, singing here. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonder? And so, in this verse, again, they've witnessed this miracle that's happened, and all these miracles that have happened as they they are being led out of slavery, and they've been delivered from an oppressive hands of Pharaoh and his army, and they are overwhelmed with awe and gratitude towards a holy God, and Moses breaks into this beautiful hymn. And this verse is a reminder that God is like, uh, unlike any other. He is majestic in holiness, meaning he's completely set apart, perfect, and pure. There is no flaw or blemish in him. He is the glory beyond our, com- our, our comprehension, and his power to work wonders is unparalleled. God is holy. So Moses isn't really asking a question here. He's, he's asking a rhetorical question. He isn't really asking if there's any other gods like God. He's making a statement. He's saying there is no one like God. And if you read on that chapter, you can see all the, the things that Moses lists out of why there is no one like God. And you see Moses in a short time had fully come to fully understand who God is and just how ma- amazingly holy he truly is, that there is no one else like God. There's nothing else like God And he alone is powerful. He deserves all the honor and power and glory to his name. He is the definition of holiness. You see, Moses responds. There's one more passage we're going to look at. It's Jeremiah 9. 
This is going to tie everything together. Jeremiah was one of the great prophets of Israel, and his book was written thousands of years after Moses was doing his thing. And Israel had seen its best days following God closely and its worst days of being almost totally destroyed for longstanding disobedience. So let's read Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. So here we see God, he, he describes himself through Jeremiah. He gives his name, the Lord, Yahweh. This is significant because it contributes to the idea that God is the one and only God. He's not some mythical deity. God also identifies some essential characteristics of himself that speak to his place in the order of all things. And his description is really cool. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But the most amazing thing, and I don't want you to miss this, is what God says we can boast about. And that we can boast about knowing him. Did you pick up on that? So we've established, right? We've established that God is holy, that there's no one like him, that he is number one in a category that's all to himself, and yet he has allowed us to know him. This, guys, should make you want to get up and dance. But that might question our Baptists, you know this, right? <laughs> so think about this. Think about who God really is. Think about what he's done throughout time and history. Right? God spoke creation. The, the, the sun that, that burns us in Texas at 113 degrees during the summertime he spoke that. He spoke all that we see into existence. And that same God that we see do all of these miracles that can part the Red Sea, that can, that can heal the blind, that can heal the sick, that can perform mad, mad, uh, amazing miracles every single day, that same God says that we can boast about having a relationship with him. He desires to know us. He desires to be known by us. It's really amazing when you think about it. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the most significant relationship you have. And I want you to think about these questions. Maybe it's, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's an aunt, uncle. Whoever this may be, I want you to, 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 to think about them. And, and, and it has to be the most significant relationship that you have. And I want you to think about these questions. How do you make sure this relationship stays healthy? How have you continued to get to know this person better? And how have you developed feelings like trust and love with this person? Now I want you to consider this. 
do you tend to think about your relationship with God in the same way that you do about other important relationships in your life? How have you grown closer to God and in what ways? And how have you built up trust in God over the course of your relationship? I've used this illustration before. Uh, my wife is, is currently serving in the, uh, the, the kids' church right now, and so she's not in this room, um, but I would have pointed her out if she was in here. Um, but I met my wife in 2007, and we had a phone relationship for a long time because we had the, the distance between us. Lots of, lots of nights talking on the phone with her pretty much every single night of the week. Um, lots of me falling asleep while on the phone with her. She didn't like that. Um, <laughs> but the time came, 2008, I decided that if I'm going to marry this woman, I should probably move into the same area code as she's in. And so uh, I, I could know that I could be physically around her and not, uh, you know. So anyway, I move here. And, and so, you know, we, we, we start that part of our relationship. And then I ask her to marry me. We get married, got married in 2010. And so We've had an incredible relationship together. Obviously, we have our ups and downs, but, but here's what I want to point out. So when I have a relationship with my wife, there's time spent, right? Like I come home and we talk about things and we talk about our day and, and she shares about her stories in pre-K, um, all those amazing stories that she has. And I ask her every day why she chose that profession, but she loves kids. It's great, right? Little, little rugrats. Um, and so we share in that, right? We talk about these things, and she's, she's incredible. She loves on these kids, and she tells me those stories. And I tell her my stories of how I came into the office and worked on these things and counseled with this person, and, and we have a relationship, right? We talk with each other. We spend time with each other. We do homework with the kids, right? We do that together. We make sure that we maintain our relationship through going on dates together and spending time, important, intimate time together, Right? But what if I was to, to, to tell you this scenario? What if I came home from work and just did my own thing? What if I came home and sat in my chair and didn't even acknowledge that my wife was home? And maybe I did. Maybe I just gave her the, the, the quick hi. Hey, what's up? And then I went and sat down and did my own thing. We didn't talk very much. We only, we, like I said, we, we see each other but don't really acknowledge each other's presence. And then I, I do that Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday, I give her two hours. I give her the best two hours, right? We get together and we, I, I let her pour out those stories, the, the pre-K stories to me. And I listen, I take it in. And we laugh together, and we, we, we have a great time together. And then noon hits, I go to lunch, and I don't acknowledge her again until Sunday. Would you say that's a healthy relationship with my wife? No. Hopefully you would reprimand me. Hopefully you would come to me and say, Brandon, that's not how you have a relationship with someone. Your relationship is suffering with your wife because you're only giving her two hours of your time. So my question to you is, is how do you approach your relationship with God? Do you approach it, approach it if it's just something that we do on Sundays? A tradition that maybe has been then carried down through generation, a box that we check? I did my Sunday thing. 
Or do we approach it as if a living God, the holy God, has called us into something greater? You see, Moses responded, right? Forty years he did life a certain way. He tended sheep for his father-in-law for 40 years. And then God shows up and changes everything. The holiness of God shows up. Jesus, out of the burning bush, calls Moses to do something great. And Moses responds, and guess what Moses didn't do? He didn't say, that sounds great. I love that idea. I'll tell you what, I'll give you two hours. And I'll go tell Pharaoh to let my people go or let your people go for two hours on a Sunday morning. No, he devoted his entire life to following Jesus, to following God and the call that he put in his life. So the question is, how do we respond? The loving God, the God that is holy and perfect and just and set apart has called you into a relationship with him. And sometimes we have to reevaluate relationships, right? I have to do the same thing with my wife because guess what? I'm not always perfect. Guess what I do some nights? In bed. It's more like this. Right? Playing Monopoly Go, right? It's not a plug for Monopoly, right? And I'll go hours without saying a word to my wife when we've put kids to bed at 8 o'clock. Finally, we got some time to ourselves, and I sit on my phone and scroll it and don't even acknowledge that she's laying next to me. And she has to go, hey, babe, will you put your phone down and talk to me for a little bit? And I'm like, yeah. Doesn't always go that great either. No, I always don't respond in graciousness either. Like, no, I'm, pl- I'm about to play some Monopoly here. Leave me alone. But guys, we have to be constantly reminded that there's a loving God that craves time with his bride. We, th- there's a reason that the, that, that the word says that, that, that God is, is, is the, the, the groom and we are the, the church, the bride. There's a correlation there that exists because we don't just give brides you don't just give two hours on a Sunday morning or an hour on a Wednesday to your husband. We as the church as the bride should be giving our all to Jesus. We should be spending time in his word, getting to know him. We should be spending time in prayer, understanding who he is and letting him speak to us through his word and through prayer. Taking things to him. Guys, I went through cancer and there was moments where I was brought to my knees. I didn't know what else to do but to just pray. Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and thanksgiving, give it to the Lord, and he will give me peace that passes all understanding. Those were moments where I was brought to my knees, and I had to be reminded of who God is, that I am not in control of my life. God is in control of my life. Amen? Amen? So when we enter into this covenant relationship with a holy God— Everything should change. Just as everything changed for Moses when he was called and he responded, and the way that he conducted himself reflected a holy God. So you're going to hear us start talking about more and more about D groups, which are discipleship groups, and 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 you're going to start having those opportunities to to be discipled, to spend time. We don't want to just tell you from here to be like, hey, get. We got to be in a relationship with Jesus and then not give you tools to be able to do so, right? 
And so you're going to start hearing a lot about that here coming up in the next year or so. Um, but, but right now, I, wanna, I want you to take out your journals. I want you to take out your, your anything to write with, phones, whatever you got. And I want you to write this down because I want to give you a tool of how to read the Bible. Because a lot of times we can open it up and like, like, like numbers, right? You get into numbers and you're like, okay, how does this apply to me today, right? And you can go, I just don't even know what this is saying to me. I don't even want to open it. That's not what God calls us to do. God calls us to be in a relationship with him, reading his word and taking it in and taking everything in that he's put in this thing from Genesis to Revelation to speak to Jesus. That It does speak about Jesus, Genesis to Revelation. And so when we, when we say that, I want to give you a tool. And here it is. It's here. Write down H-E-A-R, and you can write it down, H-E-A-R. And here's, here's what I want to say. So the H stands for highlight. So what you're going to do is when you open up a, a passage to read, like, let's just talk about Exodus, right? So maybe it's Exodus 3 that you're reading. You highlight a verse that stands out to you. Something that speaks to you. Whatever it might be. You highlight that verse. And then E stands for explain. So highlight a verse and then explain the text. And like I said, you might not understand what the text is saying. And it might be what you're writing down is the text in a simplified form, right? So Exodus 3, we're talking about Moses. And we say, all right, so Moses was tending to sheep. Moses sees a burning bush. Hmm. Like, it can be that simple. It doesn't have to be this incredible thing. Hopefully, you start getting into it and you start writing more things down that speak to you. But highlight, explain, and then apply. How does this apply to me? And maybe you don't know. And that's okay. But there's, there, if, you, if you read something, you're like, man, this really speaks to me this morning. This, is, this applies to my life. This is how I, this, this, this speaks to me. And then there's respond. So once, that, once you figure that application out, well, how, does, how do you respond? And that could be as simple as writing out a prayer. And it might be a prayer of, God, help me understand this text. <laughs> But it's a simple way that we can start reading the Bible and we can start saying I, and stop using the, the idea of I don't know how to read the Bible. And that's okay to have that thought. Here's a tool for you. Because we want you to be in the Word. I, I, my desire is that you approach your relationship with God as if you are a bride to the groom. And that you, you spend time with the Creator, with the one that is set apart. Please do not take your relationship with God for granted. It is an amazing privilege that we have to know and be known by the God of creation. God's holiness is one of his most defining characteristics. And this holy God desires a relationship with you. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And, and all this that you're hearing, you're, you want to know more about this holy God. You, really, you want to grab a hold of the fact that, that Jesus came to this place and lived a life that you cannot, a life of perfection, a life without sin. And Jesus took that sin punishment upon himself for you and for me. And he died on the cross and he breathed his last and he said, it is finished. And they took him down and put him in a tomb. And on the third day, the tomb was rolled away. The stone was rolled away and he came out of the tomb in victory. And Romans 10, 9 says that when, when, we, when we put 
when we, we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. If you do not know that truth this morning, I urge you to come and talk to me. I'll be standing right over here in just a moment. And, and maybe you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and you want to take, me, me and Cody talk about this. We just want to move 1%. Just want to move 1% in our relationship with God. We're not going to, we're not going to ask you to, to just all of a sudden just start reading God's word every single day and journaling all the, every single day. If you can, great. If you can't, but that's not what we're asking. What we're asking is that you move 1%. If you're not in God's word, then start by being in God's word one day. And maybe you need to get on your knees this morning and to, to truly lay everything at his feet and say that I want to respond I want to respond in a way that reflects a holy God. This altar is open. This is your opportunity to respond. Jeff and the band are going to start making their way back up here, and they're going to, they're going to lead us in, in, a, in a chorus of how great is our God. Man, what a great response song. How great is our God? We just got through talking about how great God is, and now we get to respond to a holy God. And I'm going to invite you to sing it out, sing loud. Altars open, come and pray. Grab somebody and pray with them. Guys, we're not called to just sit, we're called to respond. Let's pray.